This is Goodnight Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Goodnight Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Goodnight Maryland Radio, Nina Bosky. Uh, up even towards the end of her life, before she went uh, out, uh, let's say, to do something where she was really nervous, she would often turn to someone and say, hold a good thought for me, yeah. which is knowing that's like a little prayer. And towards the end of her life, she started doing that again, asking people to hold a good thought for me. And sometimes I think, you know, you can say that her life was tragic and that she's dead, but you know what? Millions of people are still holding a good thought for her. Yeah. And that's a lot more than can be said that for a lot of people who are still here in the body. That's pretty good. Isn't that the truth? Hi, everyone. I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Marilyn Radio. And boy, are we holding some good thoughts for Marilyn as we welcome you to the show, the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding M.M. herself. Well, as Goodnight Marilyn fans, we are growing around the world each and every day, and we have some great shout-outs. Debbie from Omaha, Nebraska. Kyle from Beverly Hills. Jean from Houston, Texas. Denise from St. Tropez, France. Claudia from the Netherlands, a special hello and love hug to her as she needs some good support this week. Leah from Egan, Minnesota. I hope I'm saying that right. Lee from Los Angeles. And let's see if I don't mess this one up. Gia Gigarzio from Rome, Italy. And it's because of you in this story that we're shedding some great light on this mystery that has been haunting us for over 53 years. Well, Maryland fans, we are on our last two shows of season three, and we're getting ready for the live conference coming up this fall. We'll be back in about eight weeks to start season four and the countdown to the conference. Last week, we covered the National Enquirer show. This week, we're supposed to finish up on A.J. Benza's case close, but we do have two special guests joining us, and uh, I wanted to make sure that we have enough time for both of them this morning. However, one of them was on the A.J. Benza show last week, Michael Selzman, who worked for the Arthur P. Jacobs uh, agency. He was the press agent. He might be able to break down some of those areas Michael addressed in the program. You know, there are so many conflicting stories. It becomes really difficult to understand and know who's telling the truth and who's just making stuff up. Well, this is increasingly more important for us to really know the truth, not just in this story, but in stories happening all over the world. We live in such a culture of the quick soundbite, and we believe almost anything that sounds credible. Now, given that we've had over 53 years of being told these stories around Maryland, You know, they become the fabric in which we assume the truth. But that's the goal of the show, to get underneath the rumors and share with you what is fact, what is fiction, what is probable theory, and what is outlandish rumor. Some of you, when I talk to you or I see you or I hear you, you'll you'll even now, uh, you know, reiterate that, oh, yes, I know, fact, fiction, probable theory, or outlandish rumor, but that's what we're here to do. But before we get into this week's show, I have some special people to thank. Randall Libera, our executive producer of Goodnight Maryland. I'd also like to thank the Voice America 
America Radio Networks, Aaron, our engineer, and Jennifer, our social media person, and of course, our panel, and you, Goodnight Maryland fans, I just want to say thank you. We could not do this show without you. Well, this was a big week for Maryland fans. Last week, we celebrated MM's 90th birthday. Well, this week, we have another legendary Gemini birthday, Dean Martin. He would have been 99 years old this year. This week, it was June 7th was his birthday. If he was still alive, he would have been 99, like I said. We have Dina Martin coming up. Who will join us? Who's his daughter, who uh, actually carries on her father's legacy and performs all over the world. She's American singer, actor, performer, and daughter of the iconic entertainer Dean Martin. And it just happens to be one of my favorite guests. I've had her on the show before. And then later in the hour, we'll have press agent, as I said, for the Arthur, J. P., uh, J. Arthur P. Jacobs Agency at the time of Marilyn's death. And was at her funeral at that very sad uh, day back in 1962. He was also part of the A.J. Benza Case Closed TV show and the the Reels program. And so we will start to break down some of the fact fiction issues from that show as uh, Michael will be joining us later in the hour. Well, today we have Gary Vitaka Robles with me on the air, the best-selling author of Icon, The Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe. Mary Jane, April, and Leslie are off this week. But in this first part of the show, we are celebrating Dean Martin, you know, the legend himself. You know, he's quite fond of Marilyn, and he stood up for her in Marilyn's last movie, Something's Gotta Give. Let's listen to a quick soundbite from the documentary uh, for the movie in which uh, Whitey Snyder and uh, Marjorie Fletcher uh, and even Joan Greenson uh, talk a little bit about Dean and uh, how he would not do the movie without Marilyn. On June 9th, Fox announced that it had replaced Monroe with Lee Remick, who came to the Fox lot for costume tests the next day. Remick defended the studio for dropping Monroe. I feel she should have been replaced, she told reporters. The movie business is crumbling down around our ears because of that kind of behavior. In its haste to act decisively, however, Fox overlooked an important detail. Dean Martin's contract gave him right of approval over his co-star, and Martin immediately rejected Lee Remick. Dean said, and he said right here in the dressing room, right in the front of the dressing room up there when he, we found out she was gone. And somebody in the studio came over there and said, well, we're going to go ahead and do it with Lee Remick. What? He said, no, we're not going to do it with Lee Remick. <laughs> and that was it. And that's why I heard him say that about Marilyn and walked off. She felt really proud that he would stand by her and that that really pleased her. And I remember, I think she came and, and you know, showed me the headline. No Monroe, no Martin, or something like that that it was, and she was really tickled by that. All right. Well, that was a clip talking about uh, Dean Martin and how he was actually uh, definitely uh, one of those gentlemen that was loyal to Marilyn. And that says a lot for him. And I'm just very honored and excited to have her on the show. Dina Martin is on with us. Dina, are you there? Here, and, uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show, and thank you for doing this. This is great. 
Well, I just, you know, you've been on the show before you were on last year, and we talked a lot about your father and, and your book, uh, you know, Memories Are Made of This, Dean Martin, uh, Seen Through uh, His Daughter's Eyes. And, you know, one of the things um, uh, the Maryland fans wanted to know, because the we call her the MM or the Maryland Monroe community, we call her the MM community, holds a great deal of respect for Dean because of how he stood by her during Something's Gotta Give. Um, is there anything you can tell us about that? And maybe your dad's feelings towards Marilyn. Did he ever share with you or did you, you know, through your family's, you know, conversations ever uh, have a conversation about that? You know, we didn't speak of it after because it was, it was sad. But, you know, yeah. uh, our family, my family and Marilyn, uh, we're friends with Marilyn. You know, so, I mean, that was great. She came to our home. And, in fact, um, you know, before I get into that, just hearing that uh, PR promo really brought back brought back memories to me to to hear that and to know see dad was a loyal friend and Marilyn was a friend and you know they had been we had known each other for years but I remember uh, this one time when Marilyn came to the house and she had on her scarf and of course she looked beautiful and it was before uh, before they were going to do the movie and um, my brother Dino and I Dean Paul and I <laughs> we did the twist for Marilyn Monroe <laughs> Oh. While Bobby Darren sang up a lazy river down the old mill run, and I will never ever forget that moment. And she sat there and smiled, and she was. And I'm thinking, you know, years later, I just did the twist for Marilyn Monroe, and she oh was so goodness. sweet and kind. And then everybody went to the Dodger game after that, and uh, you know, so in in California. Oh, but yeah. Marilyn was was a friend of my dad's, and he was. You know, there's something about my dad who was loyal and true blue. He never forgot uh, where he came from. He never forgot his friends. And that was the way he was. That's how he led his life, which was, you know, remarkable. And, of course, he taught me very important life lessons. He said to always treat people the way you want to be treated and uh, you know, and always be on time. You know, those were one of the things. <laughs> he was so funny like that. <laughs> but... Um, you know, I remember when we found out that uh, Marilyn had uh, had died. We were we were on a family vacation at the Alisal Ranch. It was a dude ranch in uh, might have been Santa Inez Mountains, up where Reagan has. You know, where I, I think it was up there, but Alisal Ranch. And we were going on hay rides and horseback riding, and it was just the family and all these little bungalows. And then my dad got the news that Marilyn had uh, passed away. And so we, uh, we all, it was a shock. My dad was shocked. Everybody was. Oh, it's like, yeah. you know, every, I'm pretty sure everybody remembers where they were when Marilyn Monroe died. Yeah. And, yeah, and so we got into the car. The cars came for us, and we all went back home. You know, we didn't stay. We didn't stay at, oh. the, uh, at the ranch. We had already been there a few days. But we went home, and, um, you know, and Dad... Dad was calling everybody, and it's when he said, um, you know, I want to go to the, uh, to the funeral. I, they were turned away. He and Frank were turned away from the funeral. Oh, my dad told yeah. me. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, that, must have been, that must have been hard, given the fact that also, you know, being so loyal and really a, a true friend to Marilyn. Exactly. Um, and, and so that was Leo DeRocher, correct? Uh, was it Leo or was it him? Gary? Do you know? Do you know Gary sure. Patakos with with us as Leo, well? Leo DeRosha in terms of turning them away. Yes, 
at the well, gate. I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to remember. It was a few years ago. And yeah, I should have yeah, just... gone back and, and, and well, refreshed myself. But... Yeah, but, you know, I, I think the thing is here is that, you know, with the Maryland community, um, you know, obviously you're, you're uh, you know, um, carrying on with your dad's legacy and stuff. And just wanted to say a special, special thank you to you. And your family, you know, that's that says a lot, you know, about your dad. So um, one of the things I also wanted to share with you, Dina, and I think this is kind of interesting what you said about, you know, what he would always give you little lessons and stuff yeah. with you on stage, right? Now that you are, you know, uh, definitely carrying on his legacy, you're performing all over all the yeah. time, right? And I want to hear yeah. more about it as well. Is did he ever, you know, do you ever hear him, you know, kind of like with you on stage? Because obviously, you know, you've kind of picked up where he left off. And do you ever get those little whispers in your ear or you feel like, wow, he's he's with me tonight on stage? It's so funny that you should mention that. I do, and it happens quite often. And there is, sometimes I will come out with, I'll say something, I have no idea where that came from, but it's hysterical <laughs> and I have no idea. You know, my piano player will look at me and go, I don't know. <laughs> but it's, it's things because I'm... I am performing this music, the greatest music, of course, that was ever, ever invented, ever written. Uh, it's this wonderful, you know, great American songbook. But it's with all of those people who were uh, that I grew up with. So it's the Uncle Frank Sinatra, Uncle Sammy Davis Jr., yes, Dean Martin, uh, Judy Garland, uh, you know, Peggy Lee, Bobby Darren, Ella Fitzgerald. So all of these people that I knew uh, growing up, and I. I truly believe they're all on stage with me, but there is uh, something about uh, something about my my dad, and you know, something comes out of me that sounds just like he would have said, but it would never had occurred to me before that. So, um, in fact, I'm sitting right now in my studio. I'm surrounded by gorgeous pictures of of my dad at Capitol Records and Bobby Darren in the booth and Nat King Cole, and I just uh, you know I feel his presence all the time. I would imagine you would, you know, and especially, uh, you know, carrying on that legacy and performing yourself. Uh, tell us just a little bit, and then I want to get back to, I know the, the, the fans have some questions, and Gary has some questions for you as well, but uh, you've been at Capitol Records. You are doing a lot of stuff. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing and where you're going to be performing next. All right. Well, uh, first, on um, Sunday, on Father's Day, I'm going to be performing. I'm doing the opening day with the um, at the Chicago, not Chicago, Ocean City with the Pops. So I will be there with, you know, the, the symphony orchestra and all of my great wow. arrangements, uh, performing a lot of the brand-new songs that I'm just recording now. I am now at... Not at this moment, as we're speaking, I'm not at Capitol, but I was at Capitol Records, Studio A, last week Woo-hoo. with the most incredible musicians. I've got Patrick Williams, who is the conductor-arranger. I'm doing a lot of his songs. I've got Al Schmidt as the engineer, and these unbelievable musicians, and I'm there in Studio A, where my dad recorded, and of course I was there when he recorded his first number one hit, Memories Are Made of This, when I sat in a little chair Aww. and watched him perform that. But I am now at 
at Capitol. I will be back there on June 27th to lay down some more vocals. But what an unbelievable experience for me to sit in the same chair he sat in. Oh, my gosh. The microphone. It's, it's giving me goosebumps. I mean, really, it just is. I just, I, 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 I'm, sometimes I, I bet you just, you know, pinch yourself because for us, we have to live through your stories because they're not around in physical in physical time anymore. But right. for you to have lived that as a, as a child and, and then to be back at Capitol where they sat must be an, uh, just a remarkable, remarkable experience. It's it's remarkable, and to walk up and down the halls. So if I'm in Studio A or I'm in Studio B or or C, and I walk out in the hallway, you know, maybe to get a cup of uh, tea, a, a coffee, and there's Alan Bergman and Marilyn Bergman. They were doing a documentary, and I'm standing under the picture in the hallway of Frank Sinatra conducting <laughs> my dad for Sleep Warm, which was an Alan Bergman. Wow. Wow. So, you know, so um, I have pictures taken with them, of course, but it's the history that is there, the, um, the magic that is there, because everybody's recording there still, of, of course, yes. because it sounds, yes. it sounds great. But just walking down those halls, going into those recording sessions, and Leanne Rimes was next door to me. She was in B. I was in A. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it's all, all generations, all genres, uh, you know, coming together because it's music. Music makes the world go around. And we have, um, you know, I mean, just the memory of all of these incredible, incredible entertainers. Oh, And Marilyn Monroe was a fabulous entertainer. Well, and also want to, Gary has a question as it regards, regards, because there's a lot of, uh, you know, um, kind of misinformation, not exactly sure what's clear and what's not, and maybe you know, maybe you don't, but Cal Neva, the weekend before she passed, she went up, uh, we think, to to uh, visit your dad because he was performing that last weekend, uh, July 27th, I think, through the 29th. Gary, you wanted to ask her a question. Yes. Hi, Dina. Hi. I just want to let you know I, I adore your dad. Um, growing up in an Italian family, your dad's records were plentiful. Oh. And um, Ain't That a Kick in the Head is on my dinner party playlist. It's the number one song that plays. <laughs> So I had to That's share great. that with you. Um, but, yes, on, I, I understand that your dad recorded a live performance at uh, Cal Neva Lodge at Lake Tahoe um, on July 27th, which would have been a Friday night. And we understand that Marilyn was there that weekend. And when I was researching my book, Icon, I came to the conclusion that she was likely present to support your dad as he had been supporting her. And um, I just wondered if you knew if that was accurate and if your dad shared any significant memories of what would have been her final weekend with him being present with her. Oh, you, you know what? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I would have, uh, you know, and I, I don't want to assume anything, but that sounds like something that, uh, that actually uh, did happen. I'm trying to, uh, to go back in time, but, I mean, because I'm remembering the, that next week where, you know, we all went to the Alisol Ranch, or yes. whenever that was. I can't remember the date. But as far as Dad, um, you know, to, he didn't really, uh, you know, share his feelings about things like that. He was a, he was a, quiet, mind, a quiet man. As I, as I say, you know, Dad was a Gemini. And so he was, you know, <laughs> uh, on one side he was out there, you know, fabulous, entertaining, doing everything. And then on the other side he liked to be alone and quiet. You know, and and uh, you know, keep uh, keep to himself. He was secure in himself that he was okay just to, you know, be home alone, quiet, <laughs> just and not, you know, really not um, uh, share his feelings like that. He was more. He wanted to make people laugh. So uh, we, it's not something that we would have sat down and talked about. It would have made him uncomfortable. 
Mm. Yeah, and, uh, sure. Because he he felt things very deeply, but he did not know. I you know he just chose not to express them that way. I mean he was he was just the kindest, sweetest, the gentlest man, and you would never see him get upset or mad. That wasn't that wasn't him. He was like a. They threw away the mold when they made Dean Martin because he oh. was just one of a kind. What great and memories he, to have of a dad. Oh, yeah. Exactly. up on Father's Day. So oh, I, yes. I, and I will be performing on Father's Day at, you know, as I say, the Ocean City Pops. And it's an outdoor event in the big shell, you know, Atlantic City. Or is it on the boardwalk? On. I've got to find out where I'm going to be. Um, but it's all of these songs, and it's on Father's Day. And I will be, um, for the first time, performing a lot of the songs that are going to be on the new album. And, and what's the new album called? The new album is called Bellissima. 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 And I have Bellissima. A, fab- a fabulous song that hopefully will become my uh, That's Amore. Oh, I love it. Oh, yeah, it's, it's so great, and I close every show with it, but it's so much fun, and it's, uh, it's an up, you know, jazzy song. So it's, it's going to be great. I can't wait to perform that. Um, Bellissima, yes, that's beautiful. And I am and we'll, doing Who's Got the Action. Okay, and oh, then pe- can, they find out, can they find out about this on dinamartin.com? It's oh, not, yes. Go to yeah, dinamartin.com. So. And, and in fact, on dinamartin.com, I have a video that I posted uh, last week when I was at Capitol Records. And so, and my handsome husband, John, we did the video walking into Capitol, saying hi to the security guard, walking down the hall, showing pictures, going into the different studios. And uh, people can see, you know, that, that whole little walkthrough um, on dinamartin.com. I love it. I it's, love it. It's so great. I mean, it was like a, I don't know, hundred thousand hits. I mean, it was a. Was that oh my one? gosh! It was. Well, a I just, ha- I just have to say, dinamartin.com. A shout out to your lovely husband, who is just wonderful. It's, it's, it's wonderful to see you two, uh, you know, traveling all over the place, performing all over the place. When you come back to LA, I certainly want to see you. I, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, if anybody would like to know more about the new album, about where she's going to be, dinamartin.com. And just one last question. I asked the Maryland fans this question about Maryland, but I'd like if you were to look back at his legacy, if he were to be looking back at his legacy today, what do you think your dad would say? Oh, about what he, uh, about his life? Yep. Uh, that he was a, a good man and that he loved his family and he enjoyed what he was doing and that, uh, you know, that he just, almost like he would say, ain't that a kick in the head? He just had a, <laughs> a, a wonderful, he had a wonderful life and that's, it, he just wanted to uh, people to enjoy his music and his movies, and, and he was happy with that. All right. Well, thank you, Dina Martin, for joining us and giving us a little uh, twinkle and a little glimpse into your father and to you for carrying on his legacy and his music. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much. It's my honor. Thank you. We'll talk soon. All right. All right. Take good care. Uh-huh. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. We'll be back. Gary Vitaka Robles is joining me. And Michael Selzman, press agent for the Arthur P. Jacobs Agency. We'll be back right after this. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show, Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. Voiceamerica.com. Listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. She had a knowledge of what makes a man tick. I mean, things she learned from the ground up. And men could see that she knew and could play their game. And that's what attracted them to her, beside the fact that she was quite beautiful, quite beautiful. Well, there was something honeyed about her, uh, something, uh, something fetching, uh, her, her very, uh, her smile and... and her conscious sexuality. She was a, a gifted comedian, in my opinion. There's no question about that. She understood comedy. She had developed herself. Nobody gave her that peculiar, those, those marvelous mannerisms, the, the, the thin, high voice, the, the funny look, I don't, whatever was Marilyn, you know, that uh, people imitate and never quite come up to. That was all her. And the great success of, of Monroe, I think, was that uh, she did not infuriate the female. By that I mean if, uh, if, if I told my wife after I uh, worked or saw a picture with Monroe, let's say, she said, my God, I'm crazy about her. She says she would understand it, but if I told her, boy, God, do I wish I, I could spend the night with Farrah Fawcett uh, Major, she would hit me in the mouth. <laughs> Well, that was the late uh, Billy Wilder. We also heard uh, that was Jack Lemmon 
John Huston, the famous director, and started out with the actor Eli Wallach. So uh, welcome back to Goodnight Maryland Radio. I thought that was uh, really apropos given the fact that we just spoke with uh, Dina Martin. With me is Gary Vitaka Robles, best-selling author of Icon, The Lifetimes, and Films of Marilyn Monroe. And we also have Michael Selzman, who's appeared on national and international television programs, has guest lectured at schools and universities, including UCLA, USC, Pepperdine University, and Loyola uh, Marymount, I would imagine. Uh, Troika Publishing, I hope I'm uh, pronouncing that right, uh, is pleased to... Troika Publishing is pleased to announce the publication of Michael Selzman, All is Vanity. Selzman represented such megastars as all three Fondas, Jimmy Stewart, James Mason, Rock Hudson, Marlena Dietrich, uh, Peter Sellers, Cary Grant. He also was one of the few people that is alive today that worked at the Arthur P. Jacobs Agency at the time of Marilyn's death and worked side by side with Pat Newcomb, as you know, who played a very big role in Marilyn. Marilyn's life the last few years and was certainly part of the mystery uh, and the conspiracy theories surrounding her death. So let's see if we can find out anything new as we invite Michael onto the show. Michael, we have a lot of questions from the Maryland community, uh, but before we get to them, uh, I just wanted to say welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be Um, here. Well, tell us, you know, before we get into the questions, I've got to, I, I, you know, in some ways you got to take us back uh, to 1962. The era mm-hmm. was very different from 2016. What was sure that time was. like? Well, it was like, um, <laughs> it was before computers and uh, cell phones. And uh, uh, I, it took two weeks uh, for the reporters to get here from uh, uh, Australia or Japan. And uh, we had to um, uh, host them uh, after the fact. And um, it just, uh, it was very different uh, in terms of uh, news. Um, everybody knew that Kennedy was and his brother were in town because that's where the girls were. But uh, nobody talked about it. Today would be front page news. Well, tell me a little bit when you say that with the Kennedys, um, when the Kennedys were in town. Are you talking about in general when they would come to town, the girls knew about it? Tell us a little bit about what what you mean by that. Yeah. Um, Everybody knew uh, that the Kennedys were in and out of town and... um, but as as I say, uh, it was um, withheld from the general public. Yeah. So when they would come to town in general, that that you know, not everybody knew when they would come in and out of town. Let's back up the truck a little bit, Gary. You're with me as well, um, and 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 definitely want to talk to you a little bit more about um, you know some of the questions that we have, and you know the Maryland fans, as I said to you uh, on the phone, we've got some specifics we'd like to ask you, and in one of them, you know, given the fact that you were a press agent at the time, right? Maryland's, uh, you know, obviously you find out her passing, when did you actually find out? When was the call made to you? To me? Yeah, to you personally. Um, at uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, Arthur called me and said, uh, get over to Marilyn's house. Uh, she's dead. And don't tell the media anything. 
So don't tell the media anything. Um, do you know back, if we back up the truck a little bit, Na- Natalie Trundy, who uh, mm-hmm. obviously ended up marrying Arthur, says right. that he was called away uh, from the Hollywood Bowl around 11-ish, saying that Marilyn was either on her way to passing or almost dead, or was dead. Um, do you know that to be true? What is your recollection of it? Um, Arthur called me uh, at... Uh, as I say, three o'clock. But I, Natalie also told me the same thing that uh, uh, Arthur had been called um, by somebody. Uh, I assume it was Pat. Uh, at ten o'clock, he was at the Hollywood Bowl with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Mervyn Leroy, who were also clients of ours, and um, he left, leaving uh, Natalie there with the uh, Leroys. So why do you think he waited until 3 o'clock in the morning to call you versus 11 o'clock? Because that's, that's like almost a four-hour window. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody knows. Okay. Um, Gary, you had a question as well that you wanted to ask him, too, in, in regards yes. to this. Yeah. Hi, Michael. My, my question Hi. goes back um, a little bit. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's been lots of rumors persisting that, that Marilyn had called a press conference for the Monday after her death to make an announcement, and it's kind of presumed to be related to her association with the president or attorney general. And I don't know, I've I've kind of doubted this for two reasons. And the first one being, you know, that Arthur P. Jacobs Company, I know, had a fiduciary responsibility to Marilyn, and I would Mm -hmm. think that they wouldn't have advised her to do anything like this or or they wouldn't have coordinated it. And um, the other thing is if she had contacted members of the press herself, then I would, I would assume that following her death, the press at the time would have reported that she died just hours before calling the conference. So that never quite made sense to me. And I, I wondered, would you, would you care to comment on, on this persisting rumor? Sure. Um, I think it's uh, false. Uh, I don't think that uh, she ever um, contemplated uh, a press conference, and we would have known about it. Uh, certainly, because somebody uh, in the media would have told us. Uh, there were only a handful of uh, reporters in those days. Uh, there was uh, Vernon Scott of the uh, UPI, and there was Jim Bacon of uh, the AP, and there was uh, Harrison, whatever his name was, from the um, Herald American, and there was Luella. Uh, in the person of Dorothy Manners, uh, who really wrote her column, and Hedda, and um, that was it. I mean, uh, the news was on at 6 o'clock for uh, half an hour. I mean, there was no cable, so um, somebody would have told us. Yeah, and it just, you know, Gary, to Gary's point, that just never seemed like it had a lot of credence, given the fact that even after she died, somebody would have said, oh, my God, she was going to carry, you know, carry on a press conference. And I'm sure it would have been you guys would have known. So I I, want to say thank you for clearing up that rumor, because anybody's going to know something like that, the Arthur P. Jacobs agency would, and you're one of the the last people that are talking, you know, with, you know, Pat Newcomb and yourself and Arthur. Tell us a little bit about how the agency was set up. There was only three people, um, uh, Arthur, uh, Pat, and myself. I handled most of the guys. I had 17 clients, and um, Pat handled most of the women. When Pat was busy with Sid uh, or Jennifer Jones, um, I was pressed into service to cover uh, Marilyn, as uh, she was. 
um, if I were unavailable to uh, Hank Fonda or Jimmy Stewart or Peter Sellers or any of those people. So um, that was it. Uh, Arthur had hired me uh, in New York. I was the uh, assistant publicity director of uh, um, Paramount Studios. And uh, I was married to an actress who was under contract to uh, Fox at the time, Carol Lindley. And um, uh, she wanted to move out here, and uh, I did too. And uh, John Springer, uh, who was Arthur's contact um, and employee on the East Coast, introduced us, and uh, that was how I got to California. So, so um, now, were there other agents as well in the L.A. office? Because in the New York office, no. I, as no, because what I was uh, told that is in the New York office, it was smaller than the West Coast office. Gary, do, do you know? Uh, yeah, do, I know of names like, of course, John Springer, who you mentioned, Lois Weber, and um, I'm not sure. I, I believe Rupert Allen w- would have been on the West Coast. Actually, had gone actually, to Monaco. actually, actually, the Gary, they were with uh, Rogers and Cowan. Oh, okay. Okay, so so this is this is very helpful for us to kind of clarify this because mm-hmm. you know you are one of the the few people that are actually talking. What was your relationship like with uh, Pat Newcomb? Uh, it was um, distant. Pat was not friends with uh, anybody, and uh, it's odd. Um, I became a, a, a producer at um, MGM. Uh, in the 80s, and my partner and I had a uh, what's called a uh, two-year housekeeping deal in which we would scout material and then bring it to whatever executive uh, under uh, Alan Laird Jr. Um, had been hired, um, and um, Pat um, was hired as a, uh, a vice president of production, and she was married to an English guy at the time, uh, Gareth Wigan, I believe was his name. And so um, I had come up with a uh, project, I think um, it was a pitch by a writer, and I walked into Pat's office, I said, nice to see you again after 30 years. And uh, she said, have we ever met? Do I know you? Oh, (laughs) wow. Wow. So she had been told to forget the past, and uh, I guess she was um, sticking to it. So let's talk a little bit about that, you know, in terms of, and I want to, because this is a very crucial part for Maryland fans as well to really understand, you know, um, what was going on during that time, especially during the Arthur J., uh, you know, uh, uh, P. Jacobs uh, kind of era. So was Pat, when she actually, um, you know, went through Maryland's death, and then was she actually fired? What was the actual process? Or did she no, just say, no, you know, no, no, no. I was at her house, uh, Maryland. Marilyn's house uh, behind the yellow line um, when Marilyn's body was uh, wheeled out on a stretcher uh, into the coroner's van, and Pat came out immediately thereafter and got into um, um, a black limousine and departed. And uh, as far as I know, she went to Hyannisport, where she was, uh, I don't know, um, held incommunicado for... Uh, a period of months, and then uh, the Kennedys got her a job in Washington with the uh, U.S. Information Agency, where she remained a, a 
bunch of years and then uh, surfaced again at, uh, in Los Angeles in the mid-80s. Got it. Gary, you have some more questions along those lines as well. Um, well, yeah, what, what, was the, what was the agency's um, protocol on confidentiality while um, uh, a PR representative was working with the client and then posthumously? How was that managed, the confidentiality? Um, you, you promote the good news, you hide the bad news. And, so, and, on a per, and on a personal level, you know, the boundaries regarding professional person, personal relationships with clients. Um, you get to be very, very close to, um, to clients. Uh, the closest people to clients are the makeup people because they snip the nose hairs and they, uh, they cover the, um, the butts with um, uh, pimples on the butts with uh, um, makeup and all of that stuff. So uh, usually uh, actors arrive at 5.30 in the morning and spend an hour or two or more with their makeup people and uh, their hairdressers, and those are the people um, that really know the secrets. Uh, actors are always acting, and actually we're all acting. I'm acting now as a philosophical um, teller of uh, Hollywood tales, and you're acting as whatever it is, and Nina's ask, acting as a, a radio host. So, but actors are always acting, and you can never believe anything uh, that an actor tells you. I was married to them, I hired them, I fired them, I represented them, so no one knows more about actors than me, personally. Um, and so... Uh, uh, actors tell you what they want to know, and uh, you get to be um, as intimate with them as they want you to be. So, so Michael, let's back up the truck a little bit here, okay? Um, just so we can understand, because we're, we're we're doing a timeline right now, right? Mm-hmm. So, so in the fall of 1961. Is that when you came out from New York to Los Angeles? I came out. I came out January one, of of sixty one or sixty two. Sixty one. Sixty one. So you were in January of sixty one, leading up. You and Pat kind of separated your clients out. You were more of, um, uh, you know, the male clients that you kind of handled. She handled, you know, at that case, it was. I think it was just Marilyn that she handled. Is that correct? No, 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 no. She handled all the women. She handled. What are all the, the women? Sid Cherise, uh, Jennifer Jones, uh, I can't remember the rest. The rest, okay. So you guys, and then you would fill in for each other. So going back to, to, um, you know, the day of her death, you were called by Arthur. Obviously, when was Pat called, or was Pat there when you got over there? What exactly happened? Well, as I I said, um, Pat left the house immediately after Marilyn's body was loaded into the coroner's van. So I don't know whether she spent the night or whether she was uh, there at um, whatever time Arthur arrived. would have been after midnight. But she was there when you got there. Is that what you're saying? Um, Well, she was there and followed Marilyn's body out of the house. So I never saw her go in. I only saw her go out. Go out. And what, and and what were, um, what, what were the no, directives ahead, given by um, 
Arthur P. Jacobs to um, respond to the House? What what would have been the um, kind of the goals for the firm in managing this tragic death? He said, don't tell the media anything. And there was nothing uh, that we knew. So we didn't know anything. And then we had a... Um, we had some uh, members of the media show up at the office uh, the next day, and we said we didn't know anything because we didn't know anything. So how long before, and that was the other question, is did the suicide prevention team ever come to you guys and ever interview you in regards to Marilyn's um, mental health? Suicide prevention team. I've yeah, the one that that uh, that, uh, that actually were supposed they were hired to look into Marilyn's death. I don't know anything about that. Don't know anything about that. Um, we okay. have a caller on the on the call, um, uh, and and before we do that, I'd like to just play a clip from some of and you you'll enjoy this, uh, Michael. Given the fact that uh, some of these people are that knew, knew Marilyn, let's uh, listen to what they have to say about her. Okay. She looked for love as anyone does who wants something simple out of life, and I believe she did. She didn't particularly care for money. She didn't particularly want to collect things, and I think she wanted to be married and have children. Some people could talk their way into her and get a lot of things from her just by giving them a sad story. And a lot of them did when we first started. She gave one a car for a while, her own car, 41 Pontiac, I remember it. I mean, that was back in the early days, you know, and uh, Marilyn only was a stock kid. She didn't make that any money like that. I'd say, well, Marilyn, why do you have to do this this way? Because it costs a great deal of money. She said, don't worry, it's tax deductible. Everything was tax deductible, she thought. Had no idea about money, none. There was a sort of a childishness about her that you, you felt that she should be protected uh, from, from anything that could be disturbing to her. In California, there's a law that a child who has been abandoned before the age of 16, has no responsibility to their parents. But Marilyn never shirked the responsibility when she was making $250 a week. She was paying for her mother's care. That were some of the people that knew her best. That was Amez Nelson, her business manager. Uh, Michael, what is one of your recollections of Marilyn? It sounds like sometimes from some of your clips, you 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 you're not sure. Exa- we're not exactly sure how you felt about her. How did you feel about Marilyn yourself? Well, she was difficult um, when she didn't need to be difficult. Um, I was also representing Judy Garland at the time, and Judy Garland had. Um, like Monroe, uh, and a terrible childhood. But Judy was always kind and always sweet to me. Uh, she would walk down her stairway at 2 o'clock in the afternoon uh, for a meeting with me, and she had a black eye, which was her morning, and um, uh, she would totter on her little heels uh, into the kitchen to make tea for me. Um, Monroe was just, uh, I, I think she was a man-hater. And, when uh, you say man-hater, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that uh, she was quoted as saying uh, that uh, she was uh, handed like a piece of meat 
among the studio executives. Yeah, she was. Um, and the casting couch exists uh, it's still. And uh, but she used also used men. I mean, she yeah, got but that, what, I, that doesn't make somebody a man hater. I mean, that's a very strong word to be calling. So that's a judgment about somebody versus. Yeah, I think I think she was uh, she was cruel to a stupid little kid like me. Uh, when so she you were you were young. Be. You were like twenty six years old, right? I was twenty four. 24. Wow. So you were really young. So she 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 was kind of distanced with you and she didn't treat you all that no, well. So. No, she was mean. She was, she, was, um, she was definitely mean. And mean to my uh, uh, ex-wife who was nine months pregnant um, because one of those cold, rainy January evenings, uh, I was told to uh, show up at Marilyn's apartment. She was uh, living on Doheny Drive in uh, Frank Sinatra's apartment. Uh, Sinatra wasn't there. And I couldn't leave my 19-year-old um, actress wife alone. And uh, she had the next dressing room on the Fox lot to Marilyn. And they knew each other. So... Um, Carol and I walk up to the door, and uh, I knock, and she opens the door, and uh, she says, you come in. She has to wait in the car. So, um, you know, uh, I was thinking... I, I, can I just stop you for just a second? I know you, 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 know, you experienced that with, with your, your wife. It's hard for me to, uh, given what I know about Marilyn, and I've you know, now just been doing this over the last year, she had such an appreciation for children and motherhood. Um, to be able to treat somebody like that just seems really out of character for her. Um, Not saying she couldn't have been mean, um, because she certainly had her mixed moments, but that just seems really not character, you know, for her type of character. So that's that's a hard one to 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 comprehend that she would make a, a you know a pregnant woman wait out in the car in the cold. Well, uh, Carol, uh, when I came out, she said that she tried to seduce you. And I said, no. She said, she's just jealous because I'm pregnant, and she's not, and I'm younger, and I'm prettier. Well, let's get back a little bit. Um, I, I've got a question for you about Judy Garland. Um, how did you represent her? Because I know that in New York, um, she was living in New York. Did you guys do, like you were representing her, but you were in California, and she was in New York? How did that work? No, she was living in a house on Rockingham Drive. Okay, okay. And Gary, you have some questions uh, again well, as well. Yeah, you know, it, it seems, you know, the, the picture you, you paint, Mr. Michael, is that you and Marilyn d- didn't, didn't click on, on any level. But I wonder, um, for, the, for the purpose of the show, um, do, you, do you have any positive recollection or anything positive that, that you could share with the audience no, about she- Marilyn? She was just another actress to me. Uh, just really another actress. Like one, you really one didn't of the, care for her. No. Yeah, because one of the things that I just think it's really important for us, you know, um, because what we're doing right now, we've got fifty-three years plus of, um, you know, the, the the the. Here's the wonderful thing about somebody like yourself is that you lived the era of Arthur P. Jacobs during that time, and you were connected to the the people that we are talking about, and mm-hmm. and being able to dissect that for us and understand kind of what was happening, what wasn't happening in that day, um, from the specifics 
is really, really valid. But one mm-hmm. of the things that I think, and, and we've been dissecting these shows, and I, I want to just plead with you, right, when you go out into the world because you're you know, promoting your connection with Marilyn Monroe, that we get the facts straight. And one of the things that I just want to make sure that you do not keep saying, Marilyn was not drinking the day she died. She didn't have a drink. She has no alcohol in her system. So you have every right to not like the woman. You have every right not to care for her, and she was just another actress. But I'm going to plead with you not to 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 keep extending rumors that just are not true. It might be what you heard, and you can say that. But don't state it as fact, because one of the things that we're doing on this show is fact, fiction, probable theory versus outlandish rumor. And so I, I just, I just want to just, you know, uh, say this to you because you're obviously out there promoting your, your, uh, you know, a press agent at uh, Arthur P. Jacobs uh, agency. Um, you know, Pat Newcomb is the one that actually represented her. You were all working together, which makes you guys very close, and you knew what was going on during that time, uh, and and. And the other thing is, is that we now know from the autopsy report that Marilyn did not have an abortion six weeks before she died. So I just, those are a couple, a couple of things that we've heard you say that just are not true. How do you know? Based on her, tox, her toxicology and her... toxicology report, yes, has no ethanol. And Cyril Weck, um, the pathologist, commented on Marilyn having not been present, pregnant for a period of time prior her, to her death due to the examination of the reproductive system. Mm-hmm. Will, William Goldman, the screenwriter, once said of Hollywood, nobody knows anything, and that's the case. Yeah, but toxicology doesn't lie. And so that's one of the things that we can at least on some of the things that we know and don't know. Um, and so what I'm just going to say to you is the things that are your opinion Please say they're your opinion. If they're fact, they're fact. But those are two things that we know based on her toxology, which science does not lie. You just can't on that one. Um, but I really, really, uh, Gary, did you have any other questions for? Um, no, I don't have. I really don't have any questions for Mr. Sullivan. One, one last question I do have for you, Michael, is um, the day that she died. Fox, um, you know, there's a lot of rumors about Fox uh, stepping in because they didn't want to. To, uh, have their star look bad. Did did Fox ever step in that night and try to uh, arrange the way things were supposed to look, or was it just nope. you guys? Nope. nope. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's good to know as well. Thank you for clarifying that. You know, thank you for for being on the show today and giving us a little bit of insight into that era. Uh, some of the specifics of of what you remember. I really appreciate that, and just really appreciate you being on the show. And also, if you could take my words to heart about fact and fiction, and uh, you know, opinion versus uh, what is really the truth. I, I really, really appreciate that as well. Well, I know what I know. Well, that's, that's, that's exactly. And, 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 you know, uh, some of the things that uh, we're trying to do is dissect a very murky 53-year-old history, which isn't always true. And you being living in that era is an important aspect. But I also want to make sure that, you know, what you're saying out in the media is actually uh, the truth versus opinion. And if it's your opinion... 
that's one thing. If it's a fact, it's fact. So anyway, thank you again for being on the show. Appreciate it. Uh, this is a cool classic Hollywood show. We got a mix of everything today from Dina Martin to Michael Selzman, Gary Vitaka Robles. Thank you so much for being on the show today, all of you. It was a wonderful, wonderful day. And uh, we'll be back next week for our last show of season three. So that's a wrap for, for this week. And uh, the panel will be back next week. And we'll be talking about, of course, our wonderful Marilyn. I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Marilyn Radio. Remember, never stop dreaming. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week. <music>